Hello, welcome to uh, today's adult lesson. Uh, hopefully many of you had, had a chance to uh, go to church today and have communion. Others uh, <clears throat> uh, going having their kids go through Sunday school and uh, now this adult lesson. This is my first venture into giving a recorded talk on Zoom, so please bear with me. I will uh, be uh, doing my best to get through this with you. So. Uh, today, I wanted to talk about a topic that's kind of near and dear to me. Uh, it's uh, about one of the saints in the church that uh, has had a uh, large effect on my life and the way and my way of thinking over the years. Um, and so I wanted to uh, share that with you. And uh, in the weeks to come, we'll probably be discussing uh, more specifically some of his writings. But today, I just wanted to give you kind of a brief overview of the saint and who he is and why he's important why we should uh, know more about him and what he wrote. Uh, so without further ado, I will uh, start sharing my screen here, hopefully successfully. And you can get my face off the screen, which is, or at least minimized on the screen, which is a step in the right direction. Um, but who I wanted to talk to you about today was uh, St. Basil the Great. <clears throat> and St. Basil the Great, uh, as I mentioned, uh, is a unique saint in, or in, in that he's a saint in uh, all of the early church traditions. Um, he's uh, shared by the Eastern Orthodox Church, the uh, Oriental Orthodox Church, as well as the Catholic Church, and recognized as a saint. Um, and he's a, a, a very special individual who we can learn a lot from. So why discuss him? Well, I already alluded to it. He's one of my favorites. Um, and then in this time of uh, social unrest that we have in society today with the different social movements, uh, the upcoming election, the global pandemic, um, you know, St. Basil really uh, lived in a time <clears throat> that was uh, similar to this in many ways. Um, and he, he became one of the initial or original social justice crusaders. And we'll get into, you know, that aspect of his life a little bit. He's also the father of Cenobitic monasticism, which is kind of communal monasticism. Previously, it had really been more of isolated hermits in the desert. Of course, there's Saint the efforts of St. Pachumios uh, in our church tradition, uh, also recognized as one of the fathers of this kind of more communal type uh, monasticism. Um, but uh, St. Basil certainly played an important role in this uh, realm. St. Basil also left behind a legacy of the church serving the community. There had always been sort of uh, church service, but this was really the, he kind of introduced the concept of the church organizing and serving the community in a very organized and structured way. And really that's a, a legacy that we see today with many of the church organizations like the St. Karina Charity, Catholic Charities, other Orthodox Charities. Um, that, and other Christian charities that exist. And a lot of that can be traced back to uh, St. Basil the Great. <coughs> and finally, he's uh, referred to as the Lion of Christ. And we'll get into why that is later. So the background of St. Basil uh, was that he was born around 330 AD in Caesarea of Cappadocia, which is modern-day Turkey. If we look at the map, uh, the kind of salmon pinkish area, the light pinkish area is what modern-day Turkey is. Uh, to the left of it in green is <clears throat> uh, modern-day Greece, and then that 
reddish area highlighted and labeled uh, is Cappadocia. So that's where St. Basil was born and spent uh, much of his life. Uh, St. Basil was born into a very prominent Christian family, a veritable household of saints, and this becomes uh, important in really understanding St. Basil's spiritual journey um, and his passion for uh, church, organized church service and uh, alleviating the plight of the poor and underprivileged. Um, he was raised in a, a house, a veritable household of saints. And uh, his grandfather, his mother, and father all became saints of the church, as did four of his nine brothers and sisters. So if we look at St. Basil's family portrait, it looks something like this. Uh, there's his father, St. Basil the Elder, his mother, St. Emilia, his grandmother, St. Macrina the Elder, his sister, St. Macrina the Younger, <clears throat> his brother, St. Gregory of Nyssa, uh, St. <clears throat> Macratius of Mount Nitria, St. Peter of Sebaste, who became a bishop, uh, as did uh, St. Basil eventually. Um, and then uh, St. Theosivia, who was either his uh, younger sister or his uh, sister-in-law. And looking at this family portrait in this icon, we can see all of the halos. Uh, just like to make the point that uh, such halos are missing from, uh, from my family portrait. I purposefully left my wife Sherry out of this because she, of all people, may be the one with a halo in this family, but uh, notably in this photo, none of the rest of us have halos. So quite, quite, a, quite a difference, stark contrast between uh, the family of St. Basil and my own. <clears throat> so let's get into his early life a little bit. Uh, like I mentioned, he was born to a wealthy family, and so with that uh, he had all the rights and privileges that, uh, that you'd expect in a wealthy family. His father was a renowned lawyer and rhetorician. He was a professor, a teacher of, of rhetoric uh, in uh, Caesarea and Cappadocia. Um, and uh, <clears throat> like I mentioned, uh, he, you know, St. Basil had all of the rights and privileges of growing up in a wealthy family. They owned a large uh, family estate in Anissa uh, because of his privilege, he was able to attend to the best schools of Caesarea. He eventually traveled to Constantinople to, to learn and then uh, eventually to Athens as well. Traveling to Athens uh, would be akin to uh, going for study would be akin to going to one of the best universities in the country, like a Harvard, a Stanford or a Yale. Um, and uh, so so he, he had the benefit of uh, a very strong uh, education. It was in Athens that he met St. Gregory the Theologian, and they became uh, very close uh, friends, uh, so much so that they remained in each other's lives through, throughout their entire lives. And, um, you know, it was, it was in Athens where St. Gregory and uh, uh, St. Basil really started to kind of feel a bit of an emptiness uh, regarding their studies. Uh, they enjoyed what they were doing. They are very good at it. They are very accomplished uh, students, but at the same time, there was something missing. There's just a little bit of an emptiness to, to that. And that's not unusual. I mean, we see that all the time in, uh, you know, in students who go off to college and then they, they, they're at college and then they have this kind of existential crisis of, you know, what am I really studying here? What am I really doing? Or maybe, you know, when you get out into the early work environment. So that was, uh, you know, that was uh, something very relatable uh, that St. Basil was and St. Gregory were going through at that time. 
At any rate, they uh, returned to Cappadocia. And it's there where St. Basil began to work as a teacher of rhetoric, just like his father had. And so that he just kind of followed the expectation of his studies and his family position and uh, came back and kind of settled into it. Um, it wasn't until a very traumatic experience uh, within his family occurred uh, that uh, things really started to change for St. Basil. So it's interesting to note that as of now, St. Basil wasn't a very strong Christian. Yes, he grew up in a Christian household, but he was still <clears throat> maybe not fully embedded in his faith. So around 357, uh, his uh, brother, uh, St. Necratius, uh, died, and he died in a, a tragic hunting accident. I didn't, don't know the specifics of that hunting accident, but at any rate, he, he died. And that had a very profound effect on St. Basil and kind of <clears throat> spun him into a little bit more of a turmoil, searching for answers as to why something like that would happen. Uh, or uh, just kind of searching more for the meaning of life or the meaning of what he was doing. Um, and fortunately for him, through the grace of God, uh, was the president, you know, his sister, St. Macrina, was there. And St. Macrina had a, a remarkable and, and massive influence on St. Basil in terms of uh, directing him towards uh, God and directing him towards the gospel to find these answers. Um, and uh, she, she really played a very significant and very large role in, in St. Basil's faith journey. Um, this is a quote from St. Basil, much time had I spent in vanity and wasted nearly all my youth in vain labor, which I underwent in acquiring the wisdom made foolish by God. Then once upon a time, like a man roused from deep sleep, I turned my eyes to the marvelous light of the truth of the gospel. And I perceive the uselessness of the wisdom of the princes of this world who come to naught. And this is really a, a remarkable quote. I mean, if you think about it, this is kind of a referendum on his early life, you know, spending much time in uh, much, much vanity, wasting his time in vain labor, studying the, the wisdom of this world, the, the rhetoric, the, the being a lawyer, uh, you know, just studying things uh, at the time that he would have studied in Athens uh, in, in such a sophisticated school, he kind of came to terms with the, the emptiness of that. It was good in and of itself. Of course, there's nothing wrong with learning or, or knowing more, but there wasn't a meaning to it or a truth to it. He was searching for something more. And then, you know, Quite powerfully, he says he was like a man roused from deep sleep. And, you know, you, you picture going up to somebody who's sleeping uh, very uh, deeply and um, you kind of have to shake him or a loud noise to get to get him roused or to or to wake up. And unfortunately, you know, that was uh, that was the death of his his brother that did that for him. But fortunately, his sister, St. Macrina, was there to lead him towards God and the gospel. And he refers to it as a marvelous light of truth of the gospel. And that's just kind of an overwhelming feeling of peace and serenity from, from finding the truth in the gospel. Um, so after that experience and after his... Uh, Kind of being roused from that sleep, as he mentioned, he was baptized. So he wasn't baptized earlier, 
Um, I think at the time it wasn't uncommon for people to be baptized later in their life once they had embraced the faith rather than what we uh, do now, uh, which is, you know, the infant baptisms. And, uh, you know, certainly there's a, a wisdom to that in our church. Uh, but but at the time, that's, that wasn't the, the, the order of events. Um, so his, his immersion in his faith really caused him to want to travel. So he traveled to colonies, to monastic colonies in Syria, Palestine, and Egypt to kind of really uh, try to uh, discover for himself a more uh, uh, deeper level of immersion into his faith, into to studying uh, the Gospels, to studying the Christian life. So we go to um, his, so after his travels <clears throat> abroad, uh, he returned to Anissa where his mother and sister Macrina had already established a monastic community for women uh, on their property uh, in Anissa. And uh, St. Basil had uh, spent there, uh, spent uh, time there from 358 to 364. Um, it, kind of uh, immersing himself in this in this life of faith um, and in this Christian life. During that time, he also began to fight against uh, the Arian heresy, and uh, he was ordained a priest in 365. Um, this was a particular, particular time of unrest in Cappadocia, uh, a time of poverty, a time of famine, a time of social unrest. And uh, this became very important to uh, St. Basil. It became an issue with him after reading the narrative and the gospel of the young rich ruler uh, who was asked to leave his, his riches uh, and was unable to do so. Um, this became a, a sentinel uh, uh, narrative in his life where he really felt convicted to do more uh, for those around him, to care for the poor, to care for the sick, to care for the underprivileged. And um, over the, the next uh, really 14, 15 years of his life, he, he really went to work hard on this. Um, and he uh, established uh, what is referred to as new cities or uh, basiliads. And uh, what those were were just centers with many buildings uh, where the poor and underprivileged, the, the destitute can come seeking relief and aid. There were areas like hospitals, areas, uh, clinics, areas where they can get food, areas where they can get clothing, areas where they can get shelter. And so he really kind of developed this idea of kind of a very uh, open community, uh, uh, a place of refuge for those who, who needed refuge. And this was a very unique model uh, at the time of, uh, of, of St. Basil. Eventually he became Archbishop of Caesarea. Um, and as I mentioned, he became a champion of the poor and under underprivileged. And we'll get much more into this aspect of his life in some of the, the later talks that we will uh, have together. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit uh, just about uh, his battles against uh, the Ari Arianism. Uh, sorry, there's a double type there, but, uh, but his battle against Arianism. So Arianism is the 
heresy that states that uh, Jesus is uh, not quite God. Uh, basically, that uh, there's God the Father, and then there's kind of his minion, little less than God, Jesus Christ. And uh, this did not uh, sit well with uh, with St. Basil and his understanding of his faith and what he had read in the Gospels and the earlier church councils. And so at the time, uh, usually what most people employed was whatever the emperor told them to believe. And so at the time there was Emperor Valens and uh, one of his uh, um, dignitaries, Modestus, um, and Emperor Valens was very much embedded in this concept of Arianism. And so many times because of the known resistance from St. Basil, uh, Emperor Valens would send Modestus to try to uh, coax uh, St. Basil into uh, changing his idea regarding uh, this uh, relationship of Christ to God the Father. And uh, St. Basil would just have none of it. Uh, in fact, St. Basil uh, bitterly opposed uh, Emperor Valens and Modestus in terms of uh, getting him to change his faith. And this is really, you know, where many of his other writings uh, came from and stemmed from. There was, uh, there is an allegory about uh, when Emperor Valens tried to strong arm uh, St. Basil the Great, that his son became sick, and only after Emperor Valens' wife uh, uh, convinced him to kind of approach St. Basil the Great in a gentler way, uh, his son was healed, and then, uh, and then uh, there was more turmoil between uh, St. Basil and St. Valens, and St. Valens' son eventually died, and when St. Valens went to banish, uh, when Emperor Valens went to banish St. Basil the Great, uh, the, the pen would, would split in three, and he was unable to, to write with the pen. That's an interesting allegory. I, I, I heard of that in one place. I'm not sure uh, about all of it, but uh, but certainly that's part of the the allegory of the interaction between Emperor Valens and uh, and St. Basil the Great, but more importantly is St. Basil the Great's response to uh, Emperor Valens. And here we see very strong wording, and I'll read it for you. St. Basil said, if you take away my possessions, you will not enrich yourself, nor will you make me a pauper. You have no need of my old worn-out clothing, nor of my few books, of which the entirety of my wealth is comprised. Exile means nothing to me, since I am bound to no particular place. This place in which I dwell now is not mine, and any place you send me shall be, and any place you send me shall be mine. Better to say, every place is God's. Where would I be, neither a stranger and sojourner, <clears throat> who can torture me? I am so weak that the very first blow would render me insensible. Death would be a kindness to me, for it will bring me all the sooner to God, for whom I live and labor, and to whom I hasten. That official, I believe was Modestus, was stunned by his answer. No one has ever spoken so audaciously to me, he said. And then St. Basil, I love this, retorts, perhaps the saint remarked, that is because you've never spoken to a bishop before. In all else, 
we are meek, <clears throat> the most humble of all. But when it concerns God and the people and people rise up against him, then we, counting everything else as not, look to him alone. Then fire, sword, wild beasts, and iron rods that rend the body serve to fill us with joy rather than fear. So that's a very bold reply to somebody who could <clears throat> basically kill him, or torture him, or martyr him. And this just shows uh, St. Basil's boldness and why he was in indeed referred to as the Lion of the Faith, um, or the Lion of Christ. And uh, it was this boldness in the faith face of persecution uh, that <clears throat> many of the early church martyrs had, uh, but was certainly uh, in, in demonstrated by St. Basil, the Lion of Christ. And, you know, to just kind of wrap up today after kind of taking a, a brief tour of St. Basil's life, really to note several things uh, uh, that are noteworthy, his, his defense of the faith, his, um, his care for the poor. Uh, like I said, we'll get into his care for the poor on this book on social justice, which you can't see through the blue, the green screen there. Um, but uh, <clears throat> this icon also brings a final story that I, I love about St. Basil. So St. Basil has a plethora of writings, many, many writings from the church, some of them pictured here that have been compiled on social justice, on the Holy Spirit, on the human condition, on Christian ethics. And we're not going to go over all of these, but we will take uh, bits and pieces from each of these uh, in the <clears throat> in the next few uh, talks that, that I give. But we see in this icon, this picture of this angel kind of peering over the shoulder of St. Basil as he holds a book uh, that, that it, as he holds a book, I think either that's the Bible or one of uh, a, a series of his writings. And what happened with St. Basil is many people, particularly after they read on the, his writings, which are contained within On the Holy Spirit, uh, they marveled at his depth of understanding of the Trinity. They marveled at his depth of understanding of God the Father and Christ and the relationship within the Trinity. And so they, they, they would come up to him and say, wow, you know, we've never seen anybody really think of this to this level before. And St. Basil would, would really just kind of smirk and scoff at them and say, this has nothing to do with me. This is not, has nothing to do with my studies. This has nothing to do with anything I've thought of. This has nothing to do with the rhetoric I studied in Athens. You know, this is, this is purely, uh, you know, I opened, I, I, I opened a book, held a pen, and uh, God wrote what he wanted to write. So he referred to this as kind of inspired writing. It's, it's uh, something that I, I kind of joke about after, during my talks is that everything I've ever said at one of these talks or uh, presented to any, any group of people is, is strictly plagiarism. It's the, it's the work of other people that I've read. It's the work of the Holy Spirit and St. Basil uh, truly with his own writings felt felt the same way so i felt very uh, like a like some some bit of a kindred uh, kindred thought there with him and it's really a model of humility for, for all of us um, especially within the context of a church in, ter in terms of the context of teaching anything that we teach in this in this church that is of good value or 
or um, <clears throat> beneficial to anybody really is directly from from the grace of God, um, and uh, and that serves as a, as a great model for any of us who who serve. So Saint Basil, for many reasons. Uh, that I started to kind of enumerate in this talk is uh, certainly one of my all-time favorites. And um, I, hope, uh, I hope I was able to uh, impart some of this to you today. I look forward to talking to you more specifically about uh, the next time we'll be on social justice, his collection of writings on social justice, very heavy, very convicting uh, uh, material, uh, but very important, especially in this day and age. And that's it for today. Um, God bless you all. I pray that you all have a wonderful week. I pray that you're in good health. I pray that your families are safe. Um, and I look forward to hopefully someday talking to you in person rather than as a recorded Zoom talk. God bless you all. Pray for me. Pray for my family. Pray for our church. Um, amen.